Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Wunder Mobility Podcast. Today with Timo from Kultra. Welcome. Hi, guys. It's such a pleasure to be here. We've met on quite some occasions. And now it's such a pleasure to talk to you again. Thank you. Yeah, first time we met was at your HQ, which is in Barcelona in Spain. And to everyone listening in, it sounds like two Germans talking, obviously. But you launched your business in Spain already a while ago. And you are one of the, I would say, at least hidden champions, maybe not so hidden anymore. Because when people ask, can you be profitable in micromobility and at scale, you're already doing that since some years. And you are a market leader in some very important European markets. Can you describe a little bit what your business is and how you got started and where you are today? Sure, Gunnar. I mean, yeah, compared to Wunder, we are a small fish, but um, it's a small beautiful fish. No, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a pleasure to to share a little bit my experience. I started 15 years ago. I I was studying in Barcelona, and I I had the idea to to rent scooters. I saw I actually had a problem that my own scooter failed, and I had to bring it to a workshop. And so I came up with the idea to rent scooters to other people. I bought 25 units uh, back then, Chinese scooters and started renting them from a small garage near Sagrada Familia and handing out flyers. So this is 15 years ago. And by now we have created Kulka. We are a micromobility company. We have both e-mopeds and e-bikes. We have a fleet of 17,000 uh, vehicles. And we work in both segments, B2B and B2C. So from our general headquarter, we service 30 cities. We are present in six countries which are Portugal, Spain, Italy, France, Austria, and Czech. And we do more or less 50-50 B2C and B2B. So B2B business is renting of fleets to professional customers like Domino's Pizza or, or the police even. So we actually have many police people driving around on Kultra scooters. And um, the B2C business is we do both sharing and also traditional rentals. So within our app, The customer can select if he or she wants to rent one minute or five years. So we offer the whole span of solutions, both sharing and rental. That already touches on so many topics that are today, I think, yeah, at the forefront of micromobility sharing, where people say, okay, from minutes to months, let's not be just free-floating, minute-based sharing, let's go into longer-term rentals, maybe monthly subscriptions. You're already doing that and also extend use cases into the B2B, for example. How do things break down for you? So you mentioned quite a few different business areas, but what is the dominant one or dominant two, three use cases for you? Yes, um, the thing is we really now, although we work under the same brand, which is Kultra, we do have two business units, meaning we have two organizationally, two different P&Ls and two different mm -hmm. business leaders. So there's Oriol and Damian. These are two general managers. They are leading their business units and they work, try to work very independently because, for example, in the B2B, The commercial contact is very different. You, you try to, to go to customers and make a more professional commercial sales pitch. While in the B2C, as many of you know, it's, it's, it is uh, marketing, uh, it's digital marketing, 
provoking app downloads. So people can download and reserve the, the scooter via the, the app. So the sales approaches are very different, but everything which is on the back end, all which is operations, IT, finance, all these things we use uh, between both business lines. So if we, for example, have a workshop in the city of Valencia, that serves both business lines, B2C and B2B. You mentioned in the beginning, you've already scaled to about 17,000 vehicles. So yeah, a lot of players that are known in the space in Europe, someone's talking about 10,000. I'm going to have 10,000 by the end of the year and whatnot. And that's like a very significant scale in our field in you know, micromobility sharing. On the flip side, if you look at some of the car rental companies in the space where you're now eating into also the monthly subscriptions in the longer term arrangements, sometimes they have in the hundreds of thousands of vehicles, like a sixth has maybe 300,000. So what is for you at the moment most limiting growth in terms of number of vehicles? Or is that even the metric that you're most chasing after? Yeah, no, for us, actually, the most important thing is to, to stay uh, profitable. And mm -hmm. um, this means sometimes we, we renounce, we, we, we don't agree to grow as fast as we maybe could, right? So if you build a business, and I know you, you are too doing it, Gunnar, you have to sometimes compromise between growth and profitability. Because it's very difficult to do both at the same time. No? We try to do a sustainable growth, but always maintaining our profitability. This means that we are not we are not growing like crazy and doing investments that we don't control. There are obviously now competitors, for example, no, um, Lime or Bird or Tia that are going at a different speed. They're rolling out much faster city than we do. But I don't know how profitable they are. So we really decide to get a big market share and reach profitability in the cities where we operate. So we prefer to be a market leader and profitable in 10 cities than be present in 50 cities and lose money. This is a little bit our philosophy. But We will see in 10 years what is the better strategy, right? <laughs> so it's just what, what we are up to. It probably has to also to do with, with the type of investors that we do have. We are financed by family offices and not mm -hmm. VC funds. So in terms of their investment criteria and investment focus, it's a little bit more moderate and more oriented via the profitability. And also, I think you mentioned in the past, also maybe more long-term, mm -hmm. just the patience to see things unfold over a longer time. Would you say that's also yes. a difference? Yes. On the other hand, it's very important also to move quickly. And we have seen in the, in the cities where we have entered as first mover, like Barcelona, Madrid, Lisbon, Rome, uh, Milano. In these cities, we are so strong because we entered as first player. I do believe in this game. For example, if you're, if you're a customer of moped sharing, you will not have more than three or four apps on your, on your mobile. So mm -hmm. if you have already Kultra downloaded, and as we do, we give a very good service. You know, we, we, we invest a lot in customer service. We have many own customer service agents that give 24-7 service, etc. The, the, let's say the hurdle to switch is high. 
because if you get a good service and you have a clean and well-functioning moped, um, there's the the new the, the new entrants have to work very hard to gain the customer. We are looking at some data when we try to like also forecast our own growth and so on. That basically says. Okay, vehicle sharing, Europe, North America, probably growing from about 8 billion last year to 480 billion by 2030. So this question of how will this, these industry dynamics play out? What, what is the winning strategy? Being profitable in a few cities versus uh, expanding to as many as we It's literally the billion dollar question. And, yes. um, and I think much depends in the end of the day of who gets to book. The right. So it's consumer choice on the one hand, but also maybe we get to it a bit later. Also the regulator's choice. It's not really a free market, yes. but let's start with the consumer. So you, you described how you launched your first mover in some very big European cities. And before we started recording, you mentioned also some market share estimates that you have for something like a dominant position mm -hmm. in some of these cities. How do consumers make their choice? You mentioned probably you assume they won't have more than three or four apps for this type of mobility. How do you get consumers to come to you? How do you try to build brand loyalty? Mm -hmm. Or is it all about operations, all about being close to them when it's needed? How do you see consumers making their choice and how do you land with consumers in the cities where you are already? Yeah, very good question. It's not an easy answer. It's definitely multivariable. We don't have like one simple criteria. For example, only mm -hmm. putting scooters on the ground doesn't help. We can clearly see mm -hmm. that there, there are players that have put big numbers of scooters in our cities and they have not reached a good number. The most important KPI is obviously the number of rides per scooter you're doing, no? the rotation per vehicle, which is the mm -hmm. key number. And that is the number we try to optimize because it's so It's a growth, it's a path to profitability. And how the question, how do consumers decide? So, yes, density is important, obviously. Price is also there, but not a relevant decision criteria. We believe the scooter has to fulfill some minimum criteria. Um, for example, it cannot be too heavy, it cannot be too small, it cannot be too, too big, it needs to be flexible. Even a person that is not very strong might, might need to lift it and, and move it. And then obviously the customer service, more or less, more or less on average in this industry, 10% of all rides create a contact with the customer service, mm -hmm. more or less. So mm -hmm. when this moment of truth comes, this 10% because an invoice is not correct or the helmet is not clean or the scooter is tipped over or the seat doesn't open, etc. That's the moment of truth. If you perform more or less fulfilling what the customer expects, then you are able to, to, to maintain and retain that customer. Another thing, our marketing strategy was three or four years very much about acquisition, new downloads, uh, incentivizing, giving discounts, member get member, etc. Now it's also our marketing team is a lot about retention. So we have built up a loyalty program. People are segmented in three uh, different segments. And according to the segment, you get, get different benefits or, or rights. No? And this is very important. So especially the customers that bring us a lot of value and a lot of revenue, 
we are heavily investing in them and trying to keep them because these are the essential customers that we want to keep and keep happy. You mentioned consumer choice probably driven by yeah, proximity, the vehicle, customer support, price, maybe not even no. the deciding factor to walk further yes. to another provider. What experiences did you make on the vehicle yeah. since you've been in the market for a yes. long time? Maybe 15 years ago, you got the first ones renting out close to Sagrada Familia. Yeah. How have they really evolved from the outside for somebody who's mm -hmm. not maybe even using themselves? They might think it's more or less still the same. Yeah. Is there a lot of evolution or not? A lot, a lot. And I mean, um, we are probably the company around Europe that knows best about mopeds because we have been dealing with them and maintaining them and have a huge number, no? 17,000 in terms of mopeds. We are since two years also in e-bikes. There we have also experienced, but a little bit less. So I will talk now more about the mopeds because we are really, we know much about this. So we, we made a change of provider at some moment. And for us, uh, it's not at all uh, the, 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 the purchase price that is relevant. For us, it's the total cost of ownership that is relevant. No? So we're very mm -hmm. interested in cost of spare parts, lead times, maintenance cycles, etc. So it's not that can, you, can you give we, we wouldn't like decide now if somebody offers me for thousand euros a moped, no, and another one for three thousand, we wouldn't go for the one thousand necessarily. Only because the What's the rule of thumb for this for this ratio between, you know, initial purchase price and total cost of ownership? Is that initial price one like third percent or twenty percent? One third. One third, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. with everything included, no? And um, yeah, you have to take into account, obviously, the battery cycles, no? We count in general with uh, six years depreciation and a renovation in the middle of battery sets. So this is our current rule of thumb, no? So after three years, we renew batteries. So that's also very important to take into account, no? We believe We, we, we haven't gotten to the six years, but we believe we can use the scooters even longer. It's very important in our industry to lengthen the life cycle of the, of the asset because that gives you profitability. So very much attention in our company is put on operations and in maintaining the assets very well because it's such a high capex. It's such a different philosophy to most car rental companies. When they have, they try to buy yeah. a huge discount and then that's another source of profitability to sell these mm -hmm. like six months, nine months old vehicles into the consumer market. But here in micromobility, that's not really the case. Operators try to hang on to their inventory. Why do you think, and is that going to change or, or do you think that's, why do you think that's so different? Yeah, no, totally true. It's because of the market of secondhand vehicles, no, in, 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 a, in the car rental segment, there's a very big market for secondhand cars and you can easily mm. sell the cars uh, after six or 12 months. In mopeds, for example, shared mopeds, there's not yet a secondhand market for, for these vehicles. So the best strategy is really use them and amortize them until they die. What kind of improvements, like what's the scale of improvements that you've seen in vehicles? So for example, maybe probably you express that also like in kilometers of how mm -hmm. long they last. So six years, maybe if they get ridden more or less, it depends. But 
what what were they able to do five years ago and mm. how much um, no i i would say it's a it's a total cost of ownership that goes down because the very important okay. thing the quality of this mopeds have have improved and so you have a lot less incidences the incident rate goes down a lot this is very important you no know? the improvement of the incidents in the It, it, the, the times the scooter has to go to the uh, workshop because that's a big problem. Moving a moped no, from the street to your workshop. The best thing is that if the quality is high you know, and there's no incidences, then you gain so much on, on availability of your fleet. How much would you say the total cost of ownership roughly is uh, lower now than it used to be five years ago? Are we talking like 10% more or less or... Uh, Maybe even 50%. Percent less. How much improvement? 25. Okay. That within six years. It's very important, very important. I think the people that do well in our industry, as you know, uh, and you're all experts, it's very much important your relationship with your manufacturer, that you're very well integrated, uh -huh. can give feedback, that they work for you and they, they make sure your improvements are included. This is an important skill of a manufacturer, and it's the, basically the ticket for future sales also, you know, for them. Mm -hmm. What's happening, it's a little bit interesting in mopeds now. The market is a little bit distributed now, so providers are clearly marked with one model. You know? So Lime is now doing new, Movo is doing new, Axiona is doing Silence, City Scoot is doing Govex. Kutra is doing Ascol. We are, we are collaborating with an Italian manufacturer, which, which goes very well for us. So it's interesting, no? So every brand, every moped sharing brand has occupied one manufacturer, more or less. Even though as far as I know, those aren't maybe contractual no. exclusivities in most cases. It's just kind of evolved this way. And for is it because for an operator, it's so beneficial to have only to have as little variance as possible on yes, the Yes, this, this is so true because we have been often moving spare parts or batteries or even vehicles between cities. It helps mm -hmm. a lot, no? And it makes, it makes running a business so much easier. I think if we grow further scale, it will be probably we'll work with two different providers. For the moment, we do with one. It's similar mm -hmm. like in the airline industry. You know, mm -hmm. airlines are reducing models because you have to train the crew, you have to train the pilots, you mm -hmm. have to have spare parts, all the maintenance teams, etc. It's amazing how important the vehicle selections. I mean, this is top three decision in our business is the vehicle. Oh, what are the other two? <laughs> uh, regulation is now becoming a really important topic. Really important. Yeah. yeah. We're probably the thing is. Here we are a little bit more protected with mopeds than with kick scooters. In kick scooters, regulation was already a topic three years ago when everything started because the kick scooters sleep on the streets, not on the boardwalks, while our mopeds mm -hmm. are parked and are already regulated by the traffic authority, right? There's really no reason to regulate moto. Like we operate in Madrid. We have, I think there are 5,000 shared mopeds. It's perfect. No need for regulation. The only thing is important that we, we collaborate with the local government in, in occupying parking spaces. That's what they are worried about. But in general, you don't mm -hmm. have to regulate. 
And so let's talk a little bit yes. about this area of regulation yes. because you mentioned it's a top three. Um, it can be a game changer. It's not a free market. Cities more and more decide who gets to play and maybe how many, at least in those other micromobility categories. How did you see that change in the last years? And do you see that as mainly of something that's holding you back or also an opportunity to, I don't know, differentiate or gain market share? Yeah, no, um, I, I understand the need for regulation, I, I would hope that it would be from all local governments even more supportive in the way that I really think, I really believe we are making the cities much better because it's obvious. First of all, we have electric and secondly, shared. So we have less vehicles. So we reduce vehicles and we reduce emissions. So in general, it should be a sector being promoted, Right. We understand that there, there's a location issue, no? uh, an issue of occupation of the sidewalks and the streets, and that needs to be regulated and there needs to be rules in the place. And I'm obviously more fond of having high levels and that meaning reducing the number of players than doing what in Barcelona happened, where the regulator opened for 23 different players and gave licenses to 23. Or in Madrid, in Mopeds, or in Madrid, I think there were 20 kick scooter companies. That makes it very difficult for us, the operators, to be profitable. So it's a whole balance, Gunnar. I mean, it's, this is not, this is very difficult to summarize, but yes, regulation, um, I would say yes. Assuring high-quality standards, yes. Being generous with the number of licenses, yes, because we are we are empowering climate change and the change in mobility. And I think it comes in line with uh, less less providers per city. And so, meaning for us also, it could happen that we might not be chosen in one city. Yes, can happen. But on the other hand. In the cities where you operate and you are only three, you have a chance to be profitable. If you are with 20, it's impossible. There's no chance to be profitable because you kill each other. Would your argument be that as a city, because it's electric, it's shared and so on, you want these services? And so you're better off restricting access by only choosing a few operators so that they can yeah, run this profitably and also stay, basically, rather than risking you're not having the service in your city. So you're basically constraining the market to make it possible for, for those that operate locally to be possible. I think it needs to be constrained when it's necessary. Because as I said, for example, Rome, Milano, Madrid, Lisbon, where we operate, it's naturally regulated. So we have a limited number of uh, mopeds. It's different because uh, buying a moped is much more capex than buying a kick scooter. Right, so there is not yeah. that companies can flood totally the cities with mobile. Yeah, mm -hmm. we see something even more extreme now. Basically, we have where we have like a client segment that is actually the city or like a company controlled by the city, a utility company also acting as an operator, and basically where they would say not only do we want to set some rules, but we think we should offer this service ourselves. That's more talking about smaller cities. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you also kind of... Is, yes. Do you think those are exceptions or that would be more a rule and would that also present like an opportunity for you where like mid-sized cities 
the 100,000, 200,000 people cities would say, we want this here. We're subsidizing public transport, but this is like one element of kind of public transport. But then in reality, we might tender this out and, and pay somebody to provide this here. Like cities in Germany are doing with bike sharing, yes. for example, Stadtrat is like a program that's that's get funded in this way and then tendered out. Totally. Do you see something like this evolve in Europe? Totally, Gunnar. This is the way it will happen. Probably the, the smaller cities, it will be not 100% profitable to run on a private basis. So there will be tenders and there will be given B2B contracts company like us. We are we are already applying to several cities with bike sharing schemes and and also if if cities want with moped sharing schemes. I think it's mm -hmm. it's 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 normal. It's it's the same that uh, cities pay for transport, public transport or subsidize public transport like metros and buses. They could mm -hmm. subsidize micro mobility. So it's a total trend for me. Mm -hmm. So that's why I mentioned now at the beginning, we're doing B2C and B2B. And on the B2B side, we have a big portion already of government. Interesting. Taking one step back to another level, we talked about consumers. What are their preferences, regulation, different modes, and what could be beneficial or also hindering? What about another sort of group of players here trying to become aggregators in the space? So there are some companies like you that are really getting deep into operations, operations yeah, fine-tuning vehicles, yeah. process optimization, aware of all the cost components. And there are others whose strategy they have formulated to be yeah, an aggregator that will try to do marketing to drive in consumers, but then send them to others. And one such company is um, free now, I think, coming originally from also an operations background now with a strategy that they say would like to be like an Amazon for new mobility people come here. We have our own inventory, but we also have third parties. And I think you are at the moment Integrate. integrated yes. in free yes. now since, in some locations already. Since uh, no, we're in all our mobile sharing locations, we're integrated now since uh, two weeks, actually. So it's really recent in free now. Okay. Do you see that as like, how do you see that evolve? Do you think a lot of demand in the future will come through big aggregators like this. So it's a must-have or it's more like a hedge because we don't know yet. So let's go there and see. And does that have benefits for you or is, does that mainly have also some threats going forward if, if end consumers don't necessarily mm. go directly to you? It's again, uh, Gunnar, you're raising a $1 billion question <laughs> okay. and I don't have the answer. For us, we see this as an experiment. We, we get approached by, as we have a huge uh, fleet and we are market leaders in rides in Europe in terms of moped sharing, obviously all aggregators have the objective to include Kultra because uh, integrating us, you get a big uh, number of vehicles and, and so we get approached a lot. We have been very, let's say, limited and, and careful with the decision where to integrate. We will be integrated only in a few during this year, probably three. Also, there, you know, the aggregator status, for example, specialize on B2B segments. And that's also mm -hmm. interesting. So we will also try a B2B. For us, it's a little bit an experiment now. We, we, we see it, you know, I often compared, if you're a hotel owner in Mallorca, you probably want to have a great own webpage and rent your rooms out on your own and you want to build customer base and you have probably a lot of families coming and every year. But I think nowadays you also have to sell via booking. 
to make your asset utilization high. So yes, it's an indirect channel. And if you look at, at brands, it's a quite it's a multi-channel strategy at the end. Uh, it it it's, it happens in every sector. It's in airlines. No, it's it's in even in in consumer goods. People sell via their own websites, but also in in platforms uh, in in warehouses. So yes, it's multi-channel, and we're very happy. Free now is an incredible partner. They're very professional. We were not the first company to be integrated, so they were quick in the integration. And yes, uh, so far the collaboration goes really well. It. Go- it's a, it's a real partnership. We want to do it for uh, quite some years, and we really hope we give a good service to the free now customer. And and I and I don't think it's necessarily it's uh, either or. In the way that maybe, for example, I'm living in Barcelona and I use Kultra every day, then maybe I go via my own app, right? Via Kultra. But imagine I go to for vacation to Lisbon. I made, might go via an aggregator because I don't have the, the I want to use different transport modes, etc. So let's see. A big question, huh, Gunnar? Not easy. <laughs> very much. Yeah, very much. I think that the idea is not new and we haven't really seen aggregators evolve yet and capture a lot of traffic, but it's an open question. And what we can see in our own data, we look for also like interoperability and how many users have used then other services, either the same that they originally signed up in another city or another operator. And the last we found is that only 2% of the users of our clients basically have done roaming, essentially used the same service or another service in another, not like outside of their home city. Mm-hmm. I think that this kind of inter intercity operability or international roaming and then international Network effects is maybe more limited than in other industries. Yes, it's definitely say. smaller. I agree. We have, for example, we, we see it uh, between Madrid and, and Barcelona. It's quite mm-hmm. common. It would be like Frankfurt and Berlin. You know, people are maybe leaving in the morning from Barcelona and then they go with the train and then they use Kultra in Madrid and come back. So there's like six, seven percent. But on an international level, yes, we are closer to your numbers, two, three percent mm. of roaming. Mm. Mm. What we do, I think quite interesting in Kultra since last year, we are integrating also our rental locations. Do you remember no, that I explained at the beginning, we do mm-hmm. both free yeah. float, but we also rent scooters from shops. Like in, in Ibiza, yeah. Kultra has six, six, uh, six shops. So if you are a mm-hmm. Kultra customer, you can also rent a scooter for your vacation in Mallorca and Ibiza. And so we connected inside our app also these shops which is quite an interesting topic. I know that uh, Wunda is also working on rental and sharing, and I think it's it's exactly yeah. what, what, what the future will be about. It will be about different modes. Uh, it's about the time the user wants to use the scooter, no? either being at free float mm-hmm. or going to a shop. But at the end, it's the same user. No? You want to offer him different service opportunities. And I believe if I remember this correctly, the vehicles in your rental are not necessarily connected vehicles, right? Not yet. The future, yes. So yeah, really. Yes. So there we work. Hybrid. With, yeah, there we work with keys. It's true. Huh? So how does it work? Really a hybrid between yes. like connected, yes. not connected yes. vehicles. Yes. 
and accessible through the same front yes. end for the end user. That's what we are working on. And obviously the future, yes, it will be all electric, all connected, 100%. Mm. But that's a, yeah. it, it's also about investment cycles. No, we still have some fleet that is where we have invested three, four years ago. So we have to depreciate them no, and have to make them mm. work before we re renew the fleet. What about, um, so one area you are very, very far, most people can't technically do it uh, right now to have both the free-floating sharing case, the rental case integrated. And then on another dimension, you are so far yeah, still very focused on, on one asset, your long-term partner and the moped. Have you had considerations in the past to also go multimodal? You mentioned bikes. You just made some experiences in bikes. But beyond that, what about also an integration yeah. of cars because we see some like very ambitious two-wheeling, uh, sorry, two-wheeler mm -hmm. operators now announcing that they're also going into cars yeah. at the same time. I think Rebel did. Is that something you can categorically outrule because you kind of know why that doesn't make sense or do you think it's just a matter of time until an operator like Kultra would probably run many different assets? Yeah, classes? this is another $1 billion Dollar question, Gunnar. You're very good at finding them. No, it's it's because it's really difficult to foresee the future. No, we believe for us focus has been always very important, and focus helps us to be profitable and give a good service. So in Barcelona, for example, we have a huge customer base. We have more than 350,000 users, right? on our app. So in one city. Yeah, and, um, in a city of how many million? Uh, well altogether like three million. So a big, big, big yeah, chunk. Wow. Yeah. Ten percent of the city. Yes. And so there it makes a lot of sense to go multimodal because we have a huge customer base and so it's mm. extra revenue. Uh, it's marginal uh, to operate bicycles. We were also a little bit forced because they said, okay, now the regulation comes in with the bicycles. So for the next four years, if you don't participate now, you can't do free float bikes. So in very short time, we had to develop uh, bikes. So now we have 650 e-bikes also integrated in, in our app in Barcelona. So this is the test, basically. If this works well and gives us good numbers, we will probably go to other cities. Free float e-bikes is also very difficult to make profitable. So for us, the most profitable and best unit economics we have seen with Mopeds, maybe because we know best to operate them. And what I've seen in the industry, yes, the smaller you get kick scooters, e-bikes, the more difficult in terms of operations, vandalism, total cost of ownership it gets to make them. But obviously, these are use cases that users need. They don't need always a Moped because a Moped is best for a ride between four and six kilometers. But an e-bike is perfect for 1.5 to 3, and a kick scooter is perfect for 0 to 1.5, you know. So this is why, why it's a 1 billion dollar question, because we have to see which use cases does the customer want and how do we offer. But we are also open, even like maybe partnering and aggregating, for example, a kick scooter company within our app and don't necessarily mm -hmm. operate, you know? So we don't have to always, we, we don't necessarily have to own all the assets, right? We mm -hmm. can also yeah, aggregate sure. in our um, app other services and don't necessarily operate the assets. Mm -hmm. 
And then you talk about kind of downstream from the moped, kick scooters and e-bikes, and it's becoming more difficult to turn a profit. And then there's a huge gap at the moment towards cars. But I think it's also interesting kind of to observe what's popping up in between then now mopeds and cars. <clears throat> there's one client that's launching in Germany this summer with us where they have these very light electric cars, almost like you yeah. used to see for maybe very old people driving around somewhere and they're very slow and <laughs> like a nuisance. But if you go now to very progressive cities like Amsterdam, I was there a few weeks ago and there are a lot on the street already of these kind of micro cars. Yes. I think that's really another interesting in between, especially for geographies that are further up north where the weather is just totally. a challenge for mopeds at some point of the year. Totally. It's a very interesting story what you are basically building because a lot of what you say is like totally in line with what everybody kind of expects. I think to happen, like going from just the free floating into also the longer term arrangements and the importance of proximity and the vehicle choice and customer support. And then at the same time, you're doing some things like almost the opposite, very different from other players in the industry with the focus on profitability. That's a no-go in some uh, VC pitches, I think, to kind of argue like this. And it's uh, very interesting, the success that you've had at scale. And I think you told me before also that this profitability is not just like a direction and a mantra, but something that you already had for years. And so very, very fascinating for me, hopefully also for some of our community to hear how this came about originally from the like, I'm a student here. I think we can do this from a shop close to Sagrada Familia to like now 17,000 vehicles, hundreds of people on your team. And yeah, I wish uh, last year we didn't have our summit. You would have been somebody would have liked to see on the stage there and tell your story and lead a discussion. We're doing it again this fall. I think we're, we've had enough of lockdowns and travel restrictions and so on. We're doing it in October for sure. And I hope to see you in person there. And if not there, elsewhere soon again. Definitely count on me. I'm also happy to come only as a visitor because wherever Wunder goes, there's always interesting content. So congratulations as well to you guys. Thank Take you. It's nice to talk to you again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.